welcome to a brand new season of Savari. With this second season, we're going to learn everything we can about the spirit, mind, and body. So with the very first episode of season two, I couldn't have thought of a better person to watch this new season with. A good family friend and a man with great wealth of experience. Please welcome Steve Breakstone. Steve, how are you doing right now? Fantastic, Josh. I really appreciate the opportunity to share. When I thought of doing this, you were the first person that came to mind because I just remember, you know, how much my dad talked about you and how much you had an influence on my life just a few times that we've talked in person and over the phone. And I just really feel like this audience is going to learn so much from you. And I'm, and I'm just really excited to hear more about your experiences and where you're at now in life. Awesome. Awesome. It's always exciting to share. Absolutely. So without further ado, let's just dive in a little bit about where you started, how you got your start, and all the things in between. Yeah, I actually grew up as a kid in Pennsylvania, milking cows and baling hay. And uh, I got married very young and had a daughter on the way. And we're talking, I'm 58 years old. So we're talking 1982. The economy was really bad in Pennsylvania. So I joined the army. First place they sent me was Alaska. It was really exciting. I had a fantastic time. My daughter Sonia was born and I did three years in the army in Alaska. I was in light infantry, highly decorated, had a blast while I was there. What was the difference like going from Pennsylvania to Alaska? Well, Pennsylvania has snow and it gets cold, but the biggest shocking factor was the first day you get there, they climatize you. And it was February, I think, when I arrived, it was 37 below or something. And he said, hey, we're going to assign you some gear. You're sleeping in a tent tonight. And, you know, I, I grew up around snow, but we didn't voluntarily go sleep in sub-zero weather. They taught you really quick what you're capable of doing as a human being. The Army, at least when I was in, uh, they really know how to develop your intestinal fortitude, the, the no-quit attitude, and, and take it to, to the next level. Mm. So let's talk about that, that no-quit attitude, because you're somebody that talks about this openly about how you had this battle of being bulletproof and then this humbling process, but also this process that if I give this up, I may become vulnerable. And you, you've experienced this with 25 years of law enforcement. So let's just talk about that, that bulletproofness and, and how it came about from the army to the police force. Yeah, it actually started when I was a kid. My mom was a severe alcoholic and my dad left when I was four years old. So I kind of thought at the time, not being spiritual and having much of a walk with God, that I raised Steve, that I was raising me. As a deflection of my mom's alcoholism and the home that I was in, I had to become bulletproof to survive that, that atmosphere. And, you know, like any other home, my mom had amazing talents who she could cook like a chef and play the piano like Beethoven. But when she would drink, she became a completely different human being. It was really a tough thing growing up, but it, it started that bulletproofness or putting that shell on. The good thing about the shell is you do learn to become tough. The bad thing about the shell is you don't let people near your heart because it's weakness. And later on in life, when we'll talk about it, when I was confronted with God and he said to me, surrender, that was like the farthest thing from my mind. I'm like, I, no way, that's losing, that's failure, that's quitting. And it's the exact opposite with God. Everything's upside down in God's kingdom, but you know that. Well, yeah, I mean, you're, you're right on the money there. And, and so let's just talk about it now, actually, with your book that's on Amazon, The Redemption of Joe. And 
So you retired as a lieutenant in 2011, correct? Correct. Mm -hmm. And then when did this book come about since retiring as a lieutenant? Yeah, so what what happened was it's kind of it's funny. Everything is orchestrated by God, and it's always in His timing. And I always say it's that you know God will be like, oh, isn't it cute? Steve has plans. <laughs> yeah, but you know God's plans are much bigger, and He allows us a lot of leeway, but He really keeps the guardrails on the road. But anyway, so I retired in 2011. Had an amazing police career. Went through some very difficult divorce and challenges and things and i had a buddy that i was doing jewelry with and and this is just a funny world uh his name is michael von krenner and michael also was a film guy who filmed commercials and did things but he had a connection in the literary world and stuff so we were having lunch one day and, and i i like telling stories so i'm telling stories and he's like dude you're a book and i'm like what and he goes you're a book you know the redemption of joe that's the book you're talking about here but what happened was he had a writer put it together. And when they first put it together, it was too Hollywoody. I didn't like it. Mm. And so I had the book reworked by a ghostwriter, a guy by the name of Ron Knight, incredible dude. And he wrote the trueness of the story and, and my walk with God and my challenges and the stupid things that I did in life and that God still loves us anyway. So that really kind of transpired about, oof, must have been about... I'd say 2017, 2018, when it finally came together. For those that are listening, I read the book, and I, I have to say that I genuinely did enjoy it, and I related to it a lot in, in a lot of different ways, and we're going to dive into that a little bit. But before we do that, because as soon as we get in the book, we're going to get into your your career and all the choices and all this, but let's talk about who Joe is first. In your relationship with Joe, I think that'll be really important sure. and I'll set the stage for the topics to come. Yeah, so I told you about me growing up and my mom was an alcoholic. She never said I love you. And so uh, I had that toughness and I was a police officer doing a fantastic job and I wasn't saved yet. So I was doing police work, but I was doing it, you know, by Steve's might, by Steve's power, that kind of thing. I always loved the community. I cared for people and I had a heart for people, but it wasn't that Jesus type heart that was about to come and break open due to that hard shell that I had around me from growing up. So anyway, Joe was a guy named Joe Lawson and he was a thug thug in the street, gun toter, bad guy. But there was something that tweaked me about him that like I would see him help homeless people and give them money or do things. And I'm like, there's a different heart there. And you know how God does us, like like spirits find each other. And he was he was the bad guy in the street, but he was very much a mirror of me. Grew up kind of tough, still cared about people, but was kind of running his own life. And we would kind of like two roosters go back and forth. And if you don't mind, I'll tell how I got saved and kind of fit it in. Oh, please so, do. Yeah, I had a really bad day at work one day, and, and so I went home, and I had been divorced, and and uh, it was the weirdest, like, pull by God. I raised a fist in the air, and I'll never forget it. And I'm like, God, if you're real, prove it to me. No smoke and no mirrors, and uh, I'm going to grab my Bible while I'm talking. And I said, if you are real, God, I'll tell everybody. And I, and then the one thing is my mom being an alcoholic never said the words, I love you to me in my entire life. So part of my struggles in my journey in life was always chasing after love. But when you have the hard shell around you, you don't let someone in to love you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's a conflict that's going on. So anyway, I said, God prove to me you're real and I need to know that you love me. 
The second that I said those words, 1994, guys, I had a pager. There were no cell phones. My pager goes off. So I call the number, and it's a guy by the name of Linford Summers. He's well-known to your family and an incredible Christian man, very spiritual. So I call Linford. He's like, hey, I got to come see you right away. Now, he doesn't know that I was talking to God. And I said, no, Linford, not today. It's not a good day. Now, remember, everybody, my mom never said I love you, and I wanted God to tell me. Linford drives to my house and I still have a copy and it's in a book and he gives me this note and I know it's hard to see but I'll read it to you. It says September 27, 1994. Tell Steve I love him. I will not allow him to be sifted away from me. Tested, yes, he must or will be tested. Job was tested and he prevailed. Tell Steve I love him. You tell God, prove me you're real, and I need to know you love me. And he has a guy hand deliver this note. Mm -hmm. I'll start crying in front of everybody. So <laughs> Going back to Joe, I go back to work because now my heart's just cracked open. That shell's broken open. It's a weird feeling because now that vulnerable sensitivity starts to go on and you still want to be a tough guy, but and there's a way to do both, but it was just a weird feeling. So anyways, I go back and one day I see Joe and he's lipping off and, and you know, I'll try to be polite. We used to F-bomb each other and give each other heck and, uh, so he lipped off to me the next time I saw him and I just got saved. And I'm like, dude, you need to go to church. And just as stoic as he could be, he looks at me and goes, well, why don't you take me? <laughs> and you may know, I ended up taking him to Bayshore Mennonite Church, which was where I met your family in Sarasota. Well, the funny thing about a Mennonite church for anybody who doesn't know is it's pretty much your ordinary middle Ohio, Pennsylvania kind of white people in general. So you got a black dude and a guy who carries a gun going to mm -hmm. a Mennonite church. It were like two thumbs. It's fun. It's a, it's a joke. It's a right. Yeah, yeah. yeah for real. <laughs> so Joe gets up and speaks in a church service, and it's really powerful, and it just moves everybody. And he says, "If God can bring us two men here together who conflict like like you know light and dark." He says, God can do anything. And it just moved everybody. It was an incredible moment. So I would see Joe from time to time. And he still did his street things. And I would always talk to him and stuff. And about a year later, someone shot him. He was breaking up a fight. And someone shot him and killed him. And the crazy thing was, I was the first one on the scene. And I pulled up and Joe was laying face down on the ground. And I could tell he was dead. And his brother Tibby was next to him. And Tibby was wounded, shot a couple times. And Tibby's asking me, how's Joe? How's Joe? And you don't want to tell somebody who's in shock from being shot that his brother's dead. But I remember saying to God, God, this is it? Like, I took this dude to church. This is it? And Josh, God told me as plain as day, this isn't it. You got, you got to know how I talk to God. I'm like, God, he's dead. It's kind of it. Like, this is it. So about three days later, and and again, and I'm bouncing all over, remember that, that my mother never said I love you. Mm -hmm. So about three days later, Joe's mom calls me and gets a hold of me and has me come to the house. And she's this big 300-pound, there's a picture of her, I don't know if you can see her, it's in the back of yeah. the book, sorry, mm -hmm. but yeah. So anyways, she's a big 300-pound woman, just, just as jovial and happy as can be, just loving Grew up in Georgia, black woman, you know, back then when she grew up, it was still really racist and, you know, civil rights weren't really going on. And mm -hmm. so, but she had the heart of Jesus. So she, I go to the house and she says, 
Mr. Breakstone, I want to share something with you. First of all, thank you for taking my son to church a year ago. I never forgot it. It made an impact on him. I could see it. And secondly, she says, I have a message from God that you're going to catch the killer. And I said, well, I'll do the best I can. I heard he left town. And she shook her head at me and said, you didn't hear what I told you. I said it was a message from God. <laughs> so to fast forward and just to kind of cut it short so we don't make this too long, I ended up building this relationship with her. I catch the killer in Atlanta, Georgia with the FBI like three months later, which is what God told her would happen. And she started calling me every single day. For 17 years, she died about five, six years ago. But for 17 years, she called me every single day, 365 days a year, mm. telling me that she loved me. Wow. She was like a mom. So God wow. gave me a mom almost like mm. an adopted mom that really carried me through some challenges in life, including my son's death, some, you know, divorces yeah. and, and stuff. It, it, it's amazing how God provides. It is. It is. And don't let me forget that because I want to touch on that later. And just, and just so listeners know the book, you got to read the book because there's so much detail there that obviously we can't discuss in length here, but there's so much detail there that it's so worth the read and it's, and it's one thing after another that's really inspiring and impactful. But before I get carried away off on a tangent, one question I really want to ask you is what now to you is a tough man? A tough man is one that, that doesn't bend to the world. A tough man is one that takes a knee before God, um, is still a warrior, but stands for the things that are right, no matter what the crowd says, no matter what society says. And it's a challenge every day. You know, all of us men, there's, you know, there's all the porn in the world, and the internet and all the things leading you away and music that tells you that it's better to be a wild man than faithful to your family or, but a real, real warrior, a real man is a man of integrity who knows his place in God's kingdom and doesn't bend to this world because this world's trying to bend all of us. Yeah, that's a great answer. And I just want some comparison. So what would 25-year-old Steve Breakstone say a tough man is? <laughs> a guy that doesn't cry, that, uh, <laughs> that uh, doesn't take a knee to anybody, including God, mm. uh, that, that, uh, that makes his own path, that plows his own course, that stands in his own ground. So, and I, I would have to say, I would have agreed to that in my younger years as well. And so what I really want to hear from you as a man that really, really knows, what, one, what critical choice do you remember where it's like, this is actually what a real man is? And two, what advice would you give to a younger man that's, that's trying to figure it out? Yeah. The critical moment, I think, is is God challenged me one time, even after I was saved. Because after I got saved, what I tried to do was, was manage my life according to what I thought was God's rule book. <laughs> and, it's, and it's not. It's a relationship book. But I thought it was God's rule book. And if I could just, Steve, apply these rules to Steve's life. Then he be and the, and the moment was when I failed again and I stumbled and I made huge errors that I regret. At that point, God's like Steve, you need to surrender. And when he challenged me with that, and I, I like it was weird because I was in the army, you don't surrender. I was in the police, you don't surrender. I play sports, I drag race motorcycles. There's no you know, 
you don't surrender. When I understood God's definition of surrender and what, what that meant, and God's surrender is just turn your life over to me and trust me, follow me. And, and then he's like, and I'll give you the power back. I'll give you more than you had before, but it'll be righteous power. It'll be power. It's really hard to explain to somebody that hasn't experienced it. And I'm, I want to try to really articulate it. You go from your power, which is finite, to infinite power that has love behind it. So, you know, Joseph Stalin had power, not, not loving. And, you know, and there are other people in the world, Hitler or whoever, who, who have finite power that's powerful. But there is no power like the power of God and, and when it's backed by love. Yeah, yeah. And, and this, this brings me back to something I wanted to mention earlier about there is this spiritual attraction. And I think you felt that with Joe. And this is something that I've I've started to witness in my own life. This thing in the Greek called the philo love, mm -hmm. right? The Philadelphia, the brotherly love. And so I think you and Joe did have this spiritual connection where there was this infinite power that you guys were willing to tap into. And you had mentioned Joe's mother and how much she prayed for him. And I just really believe that prayer is the strongest force out there. And so I don't think there any there is any coincidences. And and what the young kids say is real recognizes real. Yeah. Right. It doesn't it doesn't matter if you're on the east side, or the west side, wherever you're at in life, real recognizes real and it'll find each other. It's the law of, you know, all these things that people call it. But I mean, love, right? The infinite, the vulnerability, what really is tough, no matter where we slipped and fell fallen. Yeah. And and the the counter to that, the real recognizes real, evil recognizes good also, because I'll tell you a story. I was walking down the street one time and I did a lot of walk-ins police officer. I love to be out in the community. And there was a lady who um her name was Jennifer, that's all I'll say. But anyway, she was um very dark force, could feel it, everything. Well, one day she walked up to me and she looked at me and she goes, You're one of his, aren't you? And I knew exactly what she meant. It was a spiritual evil recognizing the good of God inside me. And she, from that point forward, would never walk near me. She would cross the street and go uh, literally yards away from me. So, you know, not only does real recognize real, but good and bad recognize each other too. And, and that's a powerful thing for people to hear because we live in a world, especially as believers, where we think we're susceptible to all evil, but really evil is afraid of us. And sometimes we don't walk in that. And so let's just talk about your career, right? You had a very decorated career and you were known for not having fear, albeit sometimes you had to learn humility. So let's talk about that. Cause you mentioned that earlier in your book about yeah. this, this cohesion of true fearlessness and true humility. Yeah. So when I first got hired as a police officer, you go through something called the field training program. And it's about three months. You work one month with three different field training officers. When the very first part of my field training, I was with a cop who I always thought was kind of soft and, and anyways, but he was a great guy. His name was Rob. And, and so we got a call and it was a uh, domestic dispute between two men that were in a relationship and it was a knife fight. So I got to the house and I heard screaming and it was a Florida house for anybody who doesn't know it was up on stilts and you had to go up a flight of stairs. 
So I, I got there, took off running up the flight of stairs, went through the door. The guy's got a knife. I hit him, pow, knock him down, <laughs> handcuff him and everything. And the next day the captain calls me in and he's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, what, sir? Like, I thought, oh my gosh, they did an amazing thing <laughs> and saved this guy's life. And he's like, uh, we're really worried because you don't appear to have fear. And this is not the first time that you showed up and we're afraid of you. And if you don't demonstrate some fear, it was the weirdest thing for him to say, we're going to think about letting you go. And I was getting really high scores and doing good. So I had this bulletproof sort of like run through fire. And I, I still have that today, but it's, I know where the source of that power comes from now. And it's God, it's not Steve. And the difference in that is really important to understand. But going through my career, like, I, I just went through it like that for a while. And I faked having fear on a couple of calls. So I didn't get fired and and uh, kind of got through it. I actually have tattooed on my back, willing to die. And uh, I got that after I was saved. And sometimes people would be like, oh, you want to die? No, that's not what it says. I said, I'm willing to die. And what that means even today and all the more now to die to Christ and, and to his cause is that I would give my life if I was in a restaurant and didn't have a gun and a guy came in with a gun, I'd run at him and save everybody. It's just what I would do. And that hasn't changed. My reason for it's changed. Yeah. So two things that I want to touch on. People have the wrong idea what humility really is. And knowing what I know now, and I'm, and I'm hearing you say this, and, what, and I'll touch on this again more. Humility is knowing who your source is, just like you said. That's what humility really is. And the other thing that I, I that I loved hearing what you said is that word willing, because and as a football coach, I hear all the time about how guys want to win, how guys want to be the starting running back. I was like, and I tell these guys all the time, I was like, dude, any you'll go, you can go to the bar, and everybody wants to win, everybody wants to be the starter, everybody wants to be the guy, but not everybody's willing, right? That's why that guy is at the bar and you're here, because you have to be willing to sacrifice. You have to be willing to give up time, space, whatever it is in order to receive what it is that you want. So you saying willing to die makes a lot of sense to me because in order to live, you have to embrace death. You really do. And, and we obviously have the perfect example with Jesus. And I just think he was so willing to embrace death when it, especially all the time, but physically when it was the, the right time. Yeah. And, and so I think when, when we have, he was called to, yes. And so when, when we have this, and, and in a sense, I'll, I'll share this with you since I know, but Adam was cursed to die as soon as he ate from the apple, but he didn't die 700 years later or 900 years later. So there is this slow death that people can live under if they don't embrace death in this world. So you having that tattoo, especially with the word willing, I feel like not just feel, I know, I mean, that has a lot of, uh, I should say, stigma and, and, and really philosophical and psychological evidence to it, where this really is a way to overcome fear. And I shared this the other day. I used to think that faith was the opposite of fear, but I've learned that actually it's, it's, it's love that's the opposite of fear because perfect love casts out all fear, which is very interesting because your mom never told you that she loved you, mm -hmm. but yet you have this fearlessness because you have God's unconditional love, 
right? So, so if you could expand on that, because there's listeners here that that are struggling with with divorce, myself included, struggling with maybe absentee fatherism, and, and or just bad role models in general being led down, like their brothers could be, a, you know, or whatever it is. So, so tell me more about how this love from God can somehow make a way for you, even though you didn't have the love from your parents. Yeah, I think for me and, and for each of us, it's different. And what I'll tell people is, look, when you seek God, he promises that he'll show up. He says that if you search for him, he, he'll appear. He, those words says it over and over again. But what I want people to understand is because I've had people like, well, how does God talk to you? And I go, well, it's kind of this, this, and this. Our conversation tonight, God will speak to me through this. It's just how it is. But what I want people to understand is we have our own unique relationship with God. God is the same, but we are a unique spirit created by God. So the thing that, that helps me to understand this is that in that unique relationship with God, once you have that connection with him, you know that he's the father of everything. And, and some people, and I've had arguments with pastors at churches, forgive me, but they'll be like, oh, you know, People say that this bad thing that happened, that, you know, that, that God allowed it or this or that. And I got into an argument with a church pastor with one time. And I said, Isaiah 45, 7 says, I create the light into darkness. I bring prosperity and despair. I, the Lord, do all these things. But the important thing that people have to understand is don't ever let anybody take one verse in the Bible and challenge you because one verse never stands by itself. This is God's word. Not one sentence, all of it, the whole thing complete. And it even says at the end, anybody who takes a piece out of it, you know, how dare you? Mm. So what you have to understand is, yes, God says, I create light and darkness. I bring prosperity and despair. But he also says in Jeremiah that he knows the plans he has laid out for you, that they're to prosper you. That's his plans. Now, you can derail that if you want, and you can go your own way. But understand that if you get in step with God and you get, like, it's an incredible path. And it's not, sometimes it's going to be bumpy, but he always says it's straight. Doesn't say smooth. He says straight in Proverbs. But you have to take the totality of the word and what God says to you, put them all together. And then that's that's your relationship with God. Once you have that, you know, I, I I don't want to, but if I died right this second, I'm good. Hmm. I'm good. And I don't fear it. Don't worry about it. You know, so many people, oh my gosh, you know, what's going to happen here? This, that. And, and, you know, again, I say, God always says, isn't that cute? Steve has a plan today, but, you know, so we're not to worry about that stuff. But I would tell anybody who's a new believer, it's really important that you guard yourself from religion. And um, what I mean by that is there's so many men who want to rule people by politics, by some force, and it's in churches too. It's in religion. There are very good pastors, very good people, very good guys like Josh here that want to share God's genuine love and message and journey that you can walk on on your own. But don't ever let somebody in a church condemn you or or break you down i've been divorced multiple times and people tell you oh yeah well the bible says god hates divorce he does he does hate it broke his broke his heart when i got divorced because he would rather see me not have gotten divorced but one of the things i did and this is another challenge for people i'm sorry i'm going on a tangent is be careful when people repeat phrases from the bible to you too too so like jesus said in one part of the new testament 
if you're going to follow me, you need to hate your, your mother, your brother, your sister, your father. Oh my gosh, Jesus said you've got to hate. And then in Malachi, it says, I hate divorce, saith the Lord. So in Malachi, that's Hebrew. That's the Old Testament. In the New Testament, that's Greek. Both those words, hate, if you take a concordance, it's the way you can look up words, and you look up the hate in the Greek and the hate in the Hebrew, it actually says to love less than. So God loves divorce less than you figuring out a way to work it out. Yeah. God wants you to love your mother, your brother, your sister, your father less than him because he's first. He's a jealous God. The reason why is when you get your priorities in order and you have your love for God, then your love for your family falls in the right order. What the world's trying to do now is to break families because it breaks the chain. If we can take the man out of the family, the devil thinks, oh, I disconnected the children from God because God built a chain. Family, it had a purpose behind it. Sorry, I kind of went on a tangent. No, I, no, I love it because that's exactly where we're going to go to into next. So it's perfect. And it's given me a, a couple of things to ask. So just to reiterate, there is, a, there is an ordained way of family and, and life. And again, people, just to double down on what you just said, okay, the difference between religion and true believing is religion will only stick on right and wrong. And true believing sticks on life and death. Okay, when we explain life and death and what, because then what, what falls under life? Yeah, moralistically, uh, you know, integrity does fall under life, but it's not the, the primary core. Okay, life and reproducing life, life more abundantly. That's why a man and a woman is the ordained way in a grace covenant, because that will produce life more abundantly and over and over and over and over. And there'll be generational blessings from the ordained way. Okay, so when we deviate from that ordained way, yes, there is structural perversion, you can say, or whatever, however you want to phrase it. I'm not going to get into that too much. Yeah, yeah. But at the end of the day, there's always grace super abounding, and I know religion hates that. Okay, but the reason I love reading your book so much, and I do want to get back into this a little bit, and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll make it make sense. But when you brought Joe to church at first, and you, and you explained this very well in your book, you were talking about all your sins, like how much of a sinner you were. And most people would have backed down from that, right? You and Joe were not meant to be in that church from a moralistic standpoint, right? We fell a little short. To be, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But see, this is, and, and I say this all the time. I tell people, be bold. And the, and the Bible says it very clearly. Be bold when it comes to the throne of grace. You have to go to that thing, especially as a new believer, over and over and over and over again, or else your mind won't renew. It can't because yeah. you will you will relapse, you will fall, you will sin, and we will sin again. And it's really going back to this throne of grace and knowing because of what Jesus did that I'm forgiven for it. And like you said earlier, it's an upside down kingdom. There's a lot of reverse psychology going on when we break that that bondage that we're under. Yeah. And when we and when we and so when you do these things like you did with Joe. I, I mean, it's not that you, you know you do an act for an act, but in my mind, that one act, I mean, one, saved a life. Two, I mean, Peter says it clearly, love covers a multitude of sins. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know how many sins you covered there just by, by that one act of love, but I mean, it had had been a lot because you knew that this was more important than all your mess ups. I actually got in trouble at the police department for taking him to church. There was a captain that called me aside and said, hey, 
you know, you can't have undue familiarity with felons. And I go, I took the dude to church. Yeah. Like we're not out partying together. <laughs> it's kind of a party. It's kind of cool. But, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, they really challenged me. And, and you talk about integrity or where does a, where does a strong man stand? I look the captain right in the eye and go, I'll do it again. Mm-hmm. I'll do it again. Yeah. And then you also help some prostitutes on the street just by yeah. saying, Hey, God loves you basically. Yeah. And so I just think, and, and then so those little things, right? Like you planted a little seed, regardless of the situation and God manifested it. God doesn't need much from us. No, he just wants, you know, there's a interesting thing that I love in the Bible and people talk all the time because some people will be like, Oh, I'm just going to pray and wait on God. And I'll, I'll wait right here. Well, one of my favorite, and it's funny, your name is Josh. One of my favorite books of the Bible is Joshua. And in the Bible, the Israelites are approaching the promised land and the rivers at flood stage, the Jordan River. And so Joshua's like, hey, God, we're going to pray. We need you to stop the river and, you know, work your God stuff and do your God magic. And, and God says, uh, I want the priests to roll up their pant legs and put their foot in the river, take a step forward, and I'll honor that foot forward. And then I'll do my thing. So what God does is sees where your heart is, where where you're putting, you know, you're putting the rubber to the road, and he he'll he'll meet you on that road and he'll take you further than you could ever dream of going. Absolutely. So let's let's actually transition to that, where you're taking steps right now. Okay. And then, and then we'll come back to some few other things. But where you're at right now is you got your you're buying and selling jewelry, right? You have a couple of investments and you have some business ventures. Mm-hmm. So let's, and, and I'm doing the same thing. And there's, there's a group of entrepreneurs listening to this podcast. So let's, let's just dive into that a little bit. And so just one thing I want to share before you get into what you're saying is I've always been told, and I really believe this, that it's easier to steer or correct an airplane that's flying instead of one that's on the tarmac, instead of one that's on the landing strip, yeah. right? So you got to get that thing up in the air. Yeah. Okay. So, let, so what do you got to add to that? Well, it takes, you know, the one thing that people don't understand is it takes more fuel to get a plane off the ground than it does for it to fly miles after. So it's it's true about that in the business world, too. A, a caution that I'll put up front, when you enter the business world, you're going to have religious Christians show up and tell you, oh, my gosh, you shouldn't worship money. And, you know, that's not what it's about. Solomon, who's all over the Bible, was the richest man in the history of the world. He had so much wealth that it, like they measured it in piles. But my thing behind that is, is it, it matters what you do with it. It matters what, what it's a tool. Money is a tool. Time is a tool. This video conference or having is a tool. It can be used for bad. It can be used for good. So I've got business ventures. I do crypto. I sell diamonds and jewelry. I, you know, being retired, I have a police pension that's very good, but I wanted to generate income, but still have freedom with my family. I work with a multi-level marketing company that all four of the founders are really strong Christian guys. I know face-to-face, they sell cell phone service, um, medical insurance, not insurance, but medical coverage, like a share plan, different things. So I have different ventures. My whole intent and goal behind that is one, to provide for my family. Two, to be able to give more to the to the church as I choose or to whoever. And the other is, is that God's given me a vision like to build a school in Colombia. I lived in Colombia. I speak Spanish really good. I was there about two years. I was in a, a hilltop that I remember called Entre Rios. And the kids don't have a school. So my wife and I want to build them a school. My wife is from South Africa. 
There's a huge need there. The more money that you have, the more resources you can do, the more freedom that you have to allow to do those things. It also can get you more distracted as well. So in, in every blessing like that, you have to, we talked about the man who's the strong man, the one with integrity that doesn't bend to the world. You can be wealthy and still have your eyes on God. Absolutely. So let's, first of all, I think it's great that you're starting a school in South Africa. I think that's awesome. I also have aspirations to start a foundation academy or school actually here in America, because I think where our education system is going. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's more needed. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, we're more third world when it comes to education. And yeah. It feels like it. Yeah. Yeah, for real. But anyway, we'll talk more about that later. How do you know? How do you know? that you have the right integrity? How do you know that you're in line with God's word when you're taking on a business venture? Uh -huh. Well, one of the blessings that I have, and not everybody has this, so I'll talk about two parts of it. I have a wife who's a godly woman who keeps her prayers so in line with mine, even when it's independent. Like, uh, it was funny the other day, we were both praying, didn't realize we were both praying. And when I'm in tune, in tune with God, I get this little cold pierce in my heart. It's a physical thing I can really feel. And it's like, it's almost because I talked about it before. God talks to me a certain way because he knows I need him to talk to me that way. He may talk to you differently. They're not right or wrong. It's what works to communicate to you. But anyways, my wife got that same piercing at the exact same time. And I had, I was praying for her at that moment. So anyways, one tool that I have is a godly wife, which is an incredible thing that we talked about before and a blessing beyond measure. The other thing is, is that you've got to stay in the word of God and chase after him. And the reason why I say that is I can't count the number of times and I try to journal where I'll be like, God, should I do this or should I do that? And then one day I'll open a Bible and it's like bold print goes boom. And it's the answer to the question. And I probably read it a hundred times before, but it never appeared the way that I see it at that moment because of God's spirit in me saying, hey, look at this. Talking to someone like you who's a friend and I'll be like, hey, you know, this is going on. You might say something that's prodded by God. You don't even know that it was a value. And later I'm like, like, it's like a bell ringing, like ding, you know. So being surrounded by godly people, having a godly wife, staying in the word, Asking God directly, God, like, you know, I think it was uh, Gideon who put the fleece out mm -hmm. and, and he said, hey, you know, if the fleece is wet, then it means this. If it's dry, it means this. And you don't need to challenge God quite that way, but you can ask God, God, I really want your guidance. I really, and I tell him, shut doors in front of me, shut, yeah. just shut doors in front of me that you don't want me going through. And uh, it's funny because... Um, my wife and I have a friend who we love dearly and, and she's a godly woman, but we all have our challenges, but she was talking about moving to this other country and, and like 11 different ways. God was like, close the door, close the door, tickets gone. This is God. And my wife and I are like, um, Hey, uh, it's a billboard. Like don't go. Yeah. And it was a disaster when she got there, but you know, everybody's got their own walk and their own, but mm -hmm. those are some of the ways um, the other thing is, is that once you have a spirit of integrity from God, like we were looking at a business venture with a guy and my wife and I both like instantly were like, bad, bad, just bad vibe, just not right. 
three weeks later, the guy was arrested by the federal government for wire fraud. And like, it was just like, and God, we were listening. Yeah. I, I, and I have to agree with everything that you're saying there. Like I've felt those in a lot of the same ways. And, you know, I don't have a wife, a uh, Christian wife, but I do have a church. And so I, I really bounce a lot of ideas off my, off my Christian sisters, off of my family, off of my church family. And, and especially, and I know we had mentioned earlier, be careful of a religious church, but also when you do find a good church, listen to those people that are older than you, you know what I mean? Like yeah. the elder, like listen to those elders, especially in a good church. Like they, they know what they're talking about. And that's a part of the humility and, and then the respect for the, the, the old, you know, the authority that, that really allows God to move through us and through other people to help us. Two things that I really want to get into near the end of this, we're at the tail end. I really, really want to talk about this. And we've been, uh, I would say, talking about it a lot, the spirit. You know, this podcast is about the spirit, mind, and body. And, we, and we've been really talking about the spirit, which I love. I think it's the most important thing to talk about. We kind of alluded to the mind a bit. But one thing in your book that really stuck out to me, and this is something that I've been working through with myself personally and with my dad and everything that, and just, just this culture in general. But when I read your book, it really stuck out to me what you found in your locker in 11th grade. And then this, this asterisk that okay. you've encountered. Sure. Okay. And so talk about that as much as you feel free to, but I feel like this is something that this podcast is willing to go down the road of. Sure. Because I think it's important. And I don't think a lot of people truly understand what's going on in this world because we're so physically focused. I think yeah. it's important to go to the spiritual root, which is, I mean, the really the root of everything. So let's talk more about that. And then I got some questions for you there. Yeah. So one of the cool things is, is that God made me understand that our life, and I had an interaction with God about eight months before my son died. He gave me a warning and we can talk about that. My son, Gabriel, God really laid it on my heart that our, our life is not linear. He goes, I can't really explain it to you so you understand, but it's not linear. He goes, if I can get your mind to understand currently, it's more circular. But he goes, what I want you to understand, Steve, is that inside of you are two flames. There's the flame of your spirit, and there's my spirit, my Holy Spirit, and they're intertwined, but they're in a, independent. But they communicate one with the other. But you have, God gave you free will to overpower, and I think it says, uh, don't quench the Holy Spirit. Uh, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And those are things that you have the power to do. You can do, God will let you do those things if you want. But in that intertwining of the Spirit and understanding God, then you understand the totality of that. Back up in my life. Interesting, incredible thing. So I'm in 11th grade. Don't have any faith in God, knowledge of God. Like I kind of know that maybe he's there, but not really important to me because I'm bulletproof and I'm raising myself. So I was in 11th grade and one day I went to school and I had a padlock on my locker and I unlocked it and I opened up my locker. Don't let me forget to talk about a guy named Jonathan Kahn. But anyways, he's a rabbi, now a Christian. So I go to my locker, unlock it, and I pull my books out of the top and I see a piece of paper folded up and I like, that's not mine. And so I open up the piece of paper and it said, stay, I remember vividly word for word, stay away from her. She can never love you like I can. We were meant to be together. And it was signed in blood, Astaroth, real blood. 
And I didn't know who Astaroth was, didn't mean anything to me. So I'm like, well, who would know? This is like a weird name. I go, I'll go ask the school librarian. I grew up in a small town in Pennsylvania and I go up there and I take the note and I'm like, hey, what, what is this? He jumps back and he goes, that's a curse. And I'm like, you know, laughing. And he goes, no, Astaroth is a devil goddess from the Bible. And I'm like, so anyways, I turned it in forgot about it the police came because it was signed in blood and you know they they took the note and now listen guys i was that's 1981 okay a long time ago fast forward in life i'm married um gonna get a divorce and my wife and i start seeing the number 1111 everywhere we go 1111 1111 1111 and it's it's everywhere we go and we couldn't figure it out so we're like does God want us to play the lottery? And like, you know, it's just random like stuff and we couldn't figure it out. And um, I'm flipping to a verse in the Bible, but um, anyway, so I couldn't figure it out. So we were sleeping in separate rooms and in the middle of the night or that day, I'm sorry, that day we went to, and that guys, all of this is spiritual, all this, trust me, it's the spirit world moving and I'll tie this in for you. So anyways, my wife, who knew nothing about the note on my locker, never spoke of it again, didn't bring it up, didn't know that it was still, like, embedded in my mind. Like, I'd never thought about it again. I know the words, word for word, can see the note still to this day. But anyways, so we go that day, we go to a skate and surf shop, and we walk in, and there's a watch display case. It was 3.40 in the afternoon, and that's important because it wasn't like 3.11 where it's California. It was 3. 40 in the afternoon. I look in the watch case. There's probably 80 cases. At least three quarters of the watches, maybe more, all ticking are on 11-11. At the exact moment I look in this case at 3.40 in the afternoon, all the watches are on 11-11, like almost all of them. And I'm like, tell my wife, look at this. What's going on? So we go home, we go to bed. Middle of the night, she wakes up and she said, God told me what 11-11 is, but I don't understand. She goes, the 11th book of the Bible is 1 Kings. And actually, the, the letter K is the 11th letter also. So anyways, 1 Kings chapter 11. And I'm like, okay. So I'm reading chapter 11, and I'll just jump here quick. It's talking about King Solomon. And then it says in verse 4 of 1111, 1 Kings 11, as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord. Solomon, who was a big time important person in God's kingdom, was not fully devoted to the Lord as God. As the heart of David, his father, had been, he followed Astaroth. And it, it, Josh, when I read that, I still, it's been, I still get goosebumps. Blew me away. The note came back in my mind and I'm like, oh my gosh. So if you remember the note said, stay away from her. She can never love you like I can. We are meant to be together. So the whole time now going through my life, I ended up getting divorced from her and, and it was ugly and, and um, a million God moments in that, but for the shortness and brevity of this. So I'm going through life and I'm stay away from her. She can never love you like I can. We were meant to be together. Well, Astaroth is a female demon goddess from Phoenicia and, and those times. And the more you understand who she is and she's present today, the the more it blows your mind. But anyways, the her, I kept going like, well, like who's her? What girl? What woman? What? Stay away from her. Stay away from her. All through Proverbs, one, two, three, four, five, her wisdom calls mm -hmm. you 
Wisdom is calling you. So what the enemy was telling me, the devil was saying, stay away from wisdom. Stay away from God's wisdom. It can't love you like I can. And so it was trying because it knew that I would do what I'm doing today. It knew that I would have the boldness of God to speak his word and to talk about his spirit and to tell someone who's not sure that, yes, God is real. Yes, he does love you no matter what. Yes, he's there for you through thick and thin. And the enemy didn't want that. Now, why I brought up Jonathan Kahn. Jonathan Kahn is a guy who just wrote a book called, um, I actually have it here, um, Return of the Gods. So in this book, he talks about, and it will blow you away, he's got the Harbinger and a bunch of books. He talks about the fact that these demons that were sort of suppressed in society because America was a God-fearing country are now present and relevant, and it will blow you away. What I'm telling you today about Astaroth is the Jezebel spirit, is, is all the trans stuff, is all, and I'm sorry if someone's offended. I love you and God loves you, I promise. But I have to be honest about the truth. All the things that are coming out that are just so bizarre to our mind and all the pedophile things, is all from this demon Astaroth and a demon named Moloch. It's a demon god. So if you want to know more and you ever want to get a hold of me, you know, my phone number is 941-737-0107. I will share with you everything that God shared with me. i will be happy to. It's also on the second page of my book. If you ever buy it, I put my phone number in there. So, but in our present society, in this world, the battle against families, the battle against God's hierarchy of the family is all from this Astaroth who happens to be a demon who switches from male to female, male to female. And what are we seeing today in our society? So when you read Jonathan Kahn's book, or you even look him up on YouTube and see what he says about that, and you start connecting the dots, we'll blow you away. Yeah, so a few things. So before you even mentioned it, I wanted to ask you this while I was reading your book, because this is where I've been led. And the name Astaroth never occurred to me but the name Jezebel did. Yeah. And so that's something that I've, I know that I've encountered looking back on it now. And so what's, what's the difference between those two or is there one? So, so Jezebel was actually a person. Um, and the Jezebel spirit is, is someone who took on the spirit of Astaroth. So most of these demons tend to operate in the spiritual realm, you have to understand, we're the hands and feet of God. So in the spiritual sense, we're the physical manifestation of God's creation and his love and everything. That's what he wants us to represent. The demons do the same thing. They mirror it. So they take Jezebel. Jezebel was in love with herself. She was anti-man and was more powerful than her husband, who I think was King Herod. But anyways, uh, she ended up getting thrown to her death and eaten by dogs. And it was it was uh, Ahab. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. So, um, but anyways, the Jezebel spirit is that spirit, and and you know, I'm sorry if anybody's offended again, but Beyonce and a lot of these artists, if you watch the symbolisms and the different things that they do, they are manifesting this spirit and calling on it to empower them uh, in a in a power of darkness. But one thing that Josh hit on earlier, and, and you've got to understand, and I always think of a flashlight is, you know, if there's darkness in a spot and you turn on a light, darkness flees. Darkness cannot come and overtake this light until the light loses power. So as long as I have the light of God within me, 
Darkness can't overtake me. Can't overtake the ground that I hold in God's name. Not in Steve's name, but in God's. Yeah, and I think one thing, anytime we talk about stuff like this, I think it's important for people to understand is Ephesians 6. And that's where it's our enemy isn't in flesh and blood. Even, you know, we can talk about whatever, whoever in Hollywood and all that. And I get that. But if it's not them, it's going to be someone else. And so that's where like the spiritual really transitions into the mental part where I think the spirit mind really has the synergy and cohesiveness where it's important for us to really understand Ephesians 6. That way we can walk about with that light always shining. And that's the funny thing about it is the people think that when God made light on the first day, he was talking about the sun, but he wasn't. And so we know that the sun is finite. So God was talking about this infinite light. There is this infinite light that we were alluding to earlier with you and Joe, where real recognizes real. There is this infinite light that attracts each other, that that's in, indisposable, indestructible. And when we have Ephesians 6 and Psalm 91 and, and Psalm 119 and, and, and a few and a lot of other things, right? Uh, generating this renewing of our mind there really isn't anything that can stop us and, and mom my mom brought up a really good point to me earlier today about how satan uses the grammys okay but god uses the little things yeah. right just the little the little you know whoever's but but it, we're so much stronger it's it's so it's so it's so like god it's so upside down it's 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 very humbling yeah yeah, because the devil is likes to be big and bold in his ego and flaunt it. And God's like, no, I'll take that soul. Now I got this one. God <laughs> says, I got Josh Malone. Now I got Steve Breakstone. Now I got, mm. and he's a collector of, of people that he loves. Yeah, amen to that. Okay, so let's, let's, we're getting near to our hour and I could talk with you all day. Um, but let's, let's close it out because I know this is a conversation that, I, you know, I mean, if we can have a conversation about the Jezebel spirit, we can have a conversation about anything, but this one is an intimate one. Okay. So your son, Gabe, all right, just, just go through that story for us. And then, then we'll, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll discuss it. Yeah. So the interesting thing was, is I, and it's amazing how God preps us for things. Eight, eight months before Gabe died, I was in church one day and, um, I was, uh, leaning back and I was watching worship and, and God spoke to me and said, Steve, do you see that? And I, in a vision, saw a piece of paper on the stage. And a piece of paper wasn't flat-wise. It was just with the thin side, like in the middle of the stage, literally like just a piece of paper there. And I said, yeah. And God says, I want you to understand that that represents your life here on earth. And I said, God, it's, I, I get it. It's thin. And he goes, no, I need you to understand something more profound, deeper about it. He goes, from where you're sitting way far back and from my point of view, God speaking from his point of view, if I shaved your life in half, if I shaved it in half, would you be able to see the difference? And I go, no, it'd be insignificant. He goes, don't ever forget that word. Said, okay. He goes, if I glued two pieces of paper together and I was able to press them tight together from the distance you're at and I gave you a 200-year life, would you see the difference from where you're at? And I said, no, again, God, it'd be insignificant. He goes, I want you to remember that. So I was driving home, and, and that's when God told me, hey, I want you to go read Ephesians 1, and it talks about that we've been with God in the beginning, we'll be with him in the end, and that was that part where he told me about our spirits being intertwined. So I was like, wow, it's really cool. I had this great conversation with God. So I had a son, Gabriel, 
who I love dearly, and he was a neat kid, beautiful kid, and and 17 years old, did a lot of wild, crazy, funny things, but but he was just really something. And without any warning or anything, he was out with a girlfriend, had a good life, good-looking kid, thousands of friends. He was driving home, wrecked my car, and he shot himself. And he had wrecked my car before we had had conversations about it. I didn't even yell at him. And we never know in someone's mind what their trigger is. Robin Williams, some famous people who we think, oh my gosh, why would they kill themselves, you know? And one thing that I learned during police work is you can never rationalize an irrational person's actions. We can't get in their brain. So anyways, Gabriel died suddenly and drastically, and I had a bunch of friends come to the house. And so they're all sitting around the table, and Josh, I could feel the presence of God come down, like just coming down. And it was right in my face and God says, and he talks to me a certain way. And, you know, again, to each of us, we can handle different things. He says, Steve, I cut your son's piece of paper in half. Do you still think it's insignificant? Mm -hmm. And I just sat there and I couldn't breathe. And I said, and I referred to it, I said, God, you gave me a note. You gave me a note that said you love me. And you said that I would be tested like Job and that he prevailed. And then you finished the note again that you love me. I go, the end of this story is you still love me. Mm. I know you do. And I said, I don't understand why. I don't even want to ask why. And so what I've learned, and I speak Spanish, and I always say to God, y entonces. And it means, and now what? I don't ask mm. God why anymore. I'm like, God, what do you require of me now? Now that my son's dead, what do you require from me? What? What's the next step? Where do we go from? Where do we go from here? You know, we don't have enough time, but I could go on to the journey for a whole nother hour of things that God's done. Somebody brought me a note that my son spoke to them from heaven. And the things that were said in a note would be impossible for that person to know because they didn't know my son. Mm. Things that were said. So I know that God comforts us, that he shares bits of information as we need them, not enough to be a crutch, but enough to make us know that he still hears our voice, that he still, he still catches our tears. He still mm -hmm. feels our heart. And I know that he's got my son wrapped in his arms and suicide's a horrible thing. And some religions will tell you that, oh, you're going to go to hell and this and that. And God's too loving for that. If the Bible simply says that if you have faith in Jesus Christ and you believe that he died for your sins, you're going to heaven, period. I don't care about all the other garbage, all my divorces, all my mistakes. It's not a free pass for that. There are consequences to be paid, but eternity is going to be spent in the loving arms of God and by his son. Yeah, and you had a confirmation for that too. Yeah. And so I thought that was really awesome. And I think it's really amazing that somebody that's been through something like that can say, and now what? And I think that in and of itself, not to mention all the other things that you've done that we haven't even covered, that's, you know, in your book, but it's, it really, it really gives, I say hope, right? I mean, for some people, it might be like, oh, I have nothing to complain about. And I, and, and yeah, sure. But I really believe it inspires hope. And that's really why I wanted you on here. And I just think that a lot of people, God really, really challenges people so that other people can have hope. So yeah. he knows that you have given other people hope through some very difficult challenges. But don't forget this, okay? Job had everything handed back to him in double. 
yeah. including his Hamlet. All right. I'm blessed beyond measure. I have a, I don't even like to call her a stepdaughter now, but I have a beautiful 14 year old daughter here in my home. That's just a beautiful girl. And, and I've been given a gift of a family and, and uh, God, God knows, God knows. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, that's the end of the first episode, Steve. I cannot thank you enough. You are great. And I just, yeah, I love you and everything that you've been through. There's a reason for it. And yeah, we have consequences, you know, between humans and stuff like that. But everything that you've been through, there's always been a repentance. And there's always been a, I'm going to learn from this. Yeah. And, and there's always been an, an apology and a, and, a, and, a, and a betterness from it. And to me, I don't know what, what a Christian is if it's not that. The only one's from us. <laughs> All right. Stop it up with that. Yeah, Steve, I appreciate it.